Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. The beautiful thing about rock bottom is that you're standing on something. So you can only go up from that. Hi, my name is Mark Groves and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore, alongside you, every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast, is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have returning guest, Violetta Benson. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you back. You are a very, very, very popular guest because, you know, I think the insights mixed with the humor, anyone who can bring levity to wisdom and to life's pains, is someone we want to be around. So that's why I consider you such a good friend. Well, I think we mesh well. Everyone loves you on my podcast. We did an episode together last month and it was really fun. People loved it. And you're so insightful. So I'm very thankful to be on your podcast as well. Thank you for having me. Well, welcome back. I'm um, curious what's been stirring in your mind, what's been coming up. I mean, you are exposed to literally millions of people and millions of comments. And so you get sort of a deep insight to the collective consciousness and what comes up for people. So I'm curious what you've witnessed and observed. Yeah. Well, first off, I would like to apologize for my voice today. I am sick. I just went to Disneyland for my niece and being around with kids who sniffle. I mean, oh my gosh, the thing that I've never realized watching my nieces 
they touch everything and then they put it in their mouth. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> My niece who's two just will touch the ground, just has to touch the ground nonstop and then just eats, puts it in her mouth. And I'm like, what? Anyway, and then on the car ride home, I'm sitting next to these two some Petri girls. dishes. Yeah, and of just- course, I wake up and I'm sick. So I d- would like to apologize for my voice today. I'm doing my best. But if we can look past that, I would love <laughs> <laughs> to start off the episode with something that I get asked a lot and I don't think enough people talk about, which is friendships. And when I'm talking about friendships, I mean, A, friendship breakups and also friendships getting together. So the first part is the fact that how we always tell people not to go back to their ex, but we don't really discuss how it's kind of the same thing going back to friendships that didn't work. And we also don't talk about enough about setting boundaries and all those things. And that's the same thing from relationships to friendships that you have different expectations and you have different boundaries with your friends and that's how mixes happen. And I think the last part is the fact that when we date, we get to know someone. Are you right for me? Are you not? And then you get to decide, you know what? This is not who I thought it was. Let's break up. But in friendships, it's actually the same thing. The same thing happens. But instead, we end up feeling guilty three months in the friendship when we're like, oh, this isn't the person that I thought it was. (laughs) But now it's awkward. You don't have the physical connection. So it's kind of weird to go through a whole breakup because no one really talks about the fact that you are going through a breakup in friendships as well. You get to do the same dating with friends. Why do you think it is that we don't, because that's true, we don't talk about the pain of loss of friendships. We don't talk about even vetting our friendships on a serious note. I wonder why that is. I think it's because we're so busy romanticizing relationships and dating, and we just assume the friendships just are supposed to be easygoing. And then when they don't work out for many of us, we feel shame. Because we don't talk about it, it feels weird or there's something wrong with us if we can't maintain friendships or if we're attracting the wrong partners. or Because even with friends, you can end up accidentally repeating patterns. And it's not just in dating. I feel that I tend to repeat a specific pattern even with my friends. And it takes me, it took me only until last year and a million conversations with you to kind of process and figure out, oh, I'm repeating a pattern. Or, oh, I, I always used to feel so much guilt whenever I couldn't make someone happy until with a therapist, I got to find out, oh, it's not guilt. I, I don't have boundaries. Mm. So people are overstepping my boundaries and then I feel guilty and then also bitter inside. And that's because oh, I just have to actually set my boundaries more. And a lot of times the people who are upset with you the most are the people who get to benefit from from crossing your boundaries the most. <laughs> right. It's so true. And then it keeps your behavior the same. Right. You know, till it doesn't, till you, you know, experience the awareness that you're talking about. Maybe for you listening to this, that's coming up. Because I think of some of the friendships that I've had are most, that are the closest tend to also be the ones that are, the pattern that I have previously had to work through, you know, where someone's like more outspoken and their energy is more assertive or maybe powerful. It was normal for me to go into sort of people pleasing kind of fawning mode, you know, like trying to repair or like playing small so I can allow them to stay big. It's a, and not to, it's not even their fault. It's just that that's obvious. That's the pattern that I would default to kind of like a little boy who just wanted to keep his friends, which, from my childhood makes a lot of sense. I like what you're saying because uh, our friendship, I'm definitely more aggressive and outspoken than you are. 
So that's interesting when you're talking about your pattern. Not that I'm aggressive with you where I tell you to do things, but that is true between our personalities. That's true. You are definitely, I mean, I'm a, I'm bold, but you are bold on another level, which I really love. Like when I see your Instagram stories, sometimes I'm like, damn. Or when you, uh, when someone tries to be rude to you and you just savagely destroy them in comments, it's just my favorite thing. Which I've had to calm down with. <laughs> well, having that many people commenting on whatever you say, do, or be, you're just going to get, I mean, you just are, just by pure volume, you're going to get your standard trolls who just have nothing better to do but to be rude. Yeah, but it doesn't, I would say if I'm responding on a comment on Instagram, it's never, it's never things like, well, F you cunt. It's more, huh? That doesn't make sense. I'm confused. What's the problem here? But I mean, that's besides the point. People who feel the need to comment regardless, very rude things on the internet, more times than ever, it has more to do with them than it has to do with you. People just have to project. And unfortunately, not everyone sits around and tries to understand their patterns or how to become better (laughs) and all that. So they're not going to sit there and be like, am I projecting? Am I hurting inside? Is it actually not about this complete stranger that I want to tell them I don't like their haircut? Like, is it actually about me? Is their haircut triggering me because they're reminding me of my mother's haircut who used to bully me all the time? Is that where it's coming from? No, no, it's not. It's from the stranger. Hey, by the way, I hate your your haircut, you stupid cunt. I hope you die. Yeah, I feel better for two seconds. I mean, just the level of emotional, just like abuse that occurs in the comment sections of things is just... It's bananas. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I wonder how that affects friendships. Just I was talking about this yesterday, just that what I witness is people are so afraid of getting pushback for sharing their actual opinion because their opinion doesn't align with whatever you're supposed to think, feel and be that they just silence their opinion now. And I see that going on in groups of friends, too, that there's a fear of actually opposing the group of friends or saying something. I I remember being able to exist in friendships, which is still true for me today, but it definitely got more delicate during COVID. But being able to exist in friendships where you could actually talk about everything and disagreeing was actually the route to learning more about one another and finding different wisdom about your own perspective. I agree with you on that. But I also think my mom basically recently told me that. I love your mom. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) That's not even a mom joke. I mean, like your mom is funny and very wise. Yeah. But she just taught me that, you know, life is too short to stay friends with people that make you uncomfortable, to stay friends with people that you feel stressed around and all that. But I also think that People can't be everything to you. So I think it's okay to sometimes, it depends how passionate you are about certain things. Obviously, if you're friends with someone who, let's say if I was friends with someone that had a different opinion with me about COVID, but we don't share it with each other, I would be okay with it. It doesn't bother me. I think some people felt the need to just be outspoken and just share their opinion all the time to everyone and to get into these disagreements. But if you're not insanely passionate about something and you know this one person has one one different opinion than you, but there's more positives and negatives in the friendships, then why do you have to bring that up? Just let it go. And you will have that other friend where you're both in agreement about one specific thing, but, and you can have that conversation with them. Like, for example, I had one friend that we had, in agreement about a lot of different opinions. So um, I kept that person around. But in reality, our friendship was shit. 
there were so many more negatives than positive to the to the friendship. The only positive that we had was the fact that we we hated the same things, which yeah. actually brought more negativity into our friendship, into our relationship, into our mental health. Versus, you know, and as for stating opinions on the internet, there was a time where we didn't have to constantly state all of our opinions on the internet. I still don't really understand why everyone needs to share everything with one another. I don't actually give a shit whether or not you eat tomatoes or who you vote for. <laughs> and I know it sounds crazy because everyone cares so much about who votes for who. I don't care. As yeah, long as either. you're not, unless you are doing something that's insanely racist or makes me uncomfortable, like you really don't believe in women's rights and you think I need to stay in the kitchen or you just think old Jews should die and that makes me, or everyone should be segregated and you're very vocal about that opinion. Yeah, that's going to make me uncomfortable because I'm a Jew and I would like to continue to exist. So yeah, I'm going to take a step back from the friendship, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> yeah, everything else, if you, if you believe that, I don't know, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to know. I wish we can go back to where I didn't have to know what you ate for breakfast and I didn't have to know who you voted for. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, social media has created that so much. Even what you're saying about politics, like I have no idea who my friends vote for and I don't actually even care. But some people give so much of a shit about what someone's political ideology is or what someone's perspective is on whatever subject. And, you know, it's a, it doesn't allow for psychological safety and friendships. You know, what... When I think about having a friendship with someone who might believe something different, I actually want to encourage them to believe something different. I might not agree with it and I might get activated by it, right. but I do ultimately appreciate it because it does broaden my range and my perspective. I think formerly in Village, we had diverse thoughts and those diverse thoughts actually cultivated more wisdom of the group. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I, it seems like social media has amplified this. It's become their identity. It's not yeah, just that. Absolutely. It's during the pandemic. People lost themselves, a lot of us, and people are still recovering from that. And, and research shows that it's going to take years for people to research. Our brains are not mentally capable of processing so much information so fast. So because so many things happened during pandemic or now in general, because the social media gives you access to every single thing that happens all over the world, there's so yeah. much information. Our brains are not processing it properly at the at the now time. So it's going to take us years. That's what it says. Research shows it's going to take years for people's brains to actually process the pandemic, which now happened a good minute ago. And <laughs> I think it's become people's identities now. So your their beliefs, whether it's politics, all that, it's become their identities. And unfortunately, the truth is nothing brings people together faster than hate. And hate is so easy. And hate expands fast like fire. And that's the problem. And people don't realize, but if you want to get people talking about something, the easiest way is hate. And that's so putting people against each other, segregating people more into smaller and smaller groups, fighting about something. And you think you're so passionate about it because you care about this today, but the people you're fighting for don't give a shit about you. So maybe just focus on your inner peace because you've been through a lot. The pandemic was terrible for everyone. This is not a competition of who suffered more. It was terrible for all of us. So maybe if you're looking for compassion from others, maybe have some compassion for others as well and just chill. <laughs> 
<laughs> just chill. Just find chill. some zen. Just like take some time to repair for yourself. Yeah. That's such a beautiful invitation because people have been so activated in the last three years. Their nervous systems, our nervous systems are all wound up. And we've been traumatized. We've experienced a collective trauma. And to come out of that, it's true because if you watch the news, what you were saying, social media gives you access to things that are happening all around the world that you never would have known about. And to be fair, you probably don't even need to know about most of the stuff. It doesn't, you're not going to go and change some of that stuff. But this idea that we're going to just take on every responsibility in the whole world. I mean, the world has always had stuff that needs to change. I don't think that's going anywhere. But social media, I think, has also rewarded presenting ideologies. Like you're saying, when someone presents what their identity is, this is who I vote for, this is what I believe, it often gets amplified. And so they get status, they get rewarded, they get likes. And, you know, social media has really fucked with people's brains. Like, I don't know about you, I'd be curious to hear your experience. But for me, there was a time very early in social media where I was like, I will not post for likes. I will only, I'll post what I want to write and what feels true. But then there was a time when the algorithm got so different that I was like, oh, well, I can't post that. I need to post this. And I changed. I like sold out how I was doing it. Now I'm coming back to this experience of like dancing for the algorithm ultimately doesn't work. You have to maintain some level of authenticity and integrity in the dance of that. So I'm curious how you do that. Because I mean, your stuff always has you know, relatively high virality and, and gets, I think one time you posted a story and then you're like, I'm so grateful for my daddy issues people. And it had like 80,000 views in like 12 minutes. I was just like, holy shit. When I post something like that, it's actually me doing that for potential advertisers. Uh, so I'm smart. advertising myself. It wasn't actually to show smart. off or to sh- yeah. No, so, no, I didn't mean it was showing no, off. No, no, I, just I was know like, that's impressive. But the point is that everything I do on social media, it's a business for me. So I try not to take it personally. Of course, I have those moments where I do take things personally, or oh, this is not going to hit, or blah blah blah. But ninety percent of the time, I've learned to teach myself that. Social media is not real. I don't take it personally. So I post and then I log off. I don't really watch anyone's stories. I don't really, if, if it was up to me, I, as you can tell, my, my personal Instagram has the least amount of pictures compared to my podcast Instagram and my meme account because I don't actually give a shit to post pictures of myself. I don't get a high from that. It doesn't make me feel good whether I'm going to get five likes or one like. It's not going to change how I feel about myself. If I don't, if I wake up, I don't feel good about myself in front of the mirror, then I'm not going to feel good about whatever it is that I post. I don't need that outside validation. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've told my sister this. I, if, I didn't, if I didn't do this for a living where I need to promote my podcast and other things on social media, I probably wouldn't have Instagram. It would bring me so much more peace. Not yeah, that I, I love Instagram, but I think it's important to not get all your validation from it. And also, once you realize you don't actually have control over the algorithm, and once you realize that Instagram or social media, there's actual articles that show that they push more controversy or they push more people that pay them and so on, and you see all the stuff, it should make you feel better knowing that actually has nothing to do with you, the content you post, your looks, has nothing with any of that. That 
it's just by chance. So once you realize it's by chance, then just post a post. If if it doesn't matter, if 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 the algorithm isn't gonna give a shit about you, whether you post something you're passionate about or something you're not passionate about, you might as well just post something you're passionate about. Right. So Amen. That's amen. so true. And a good reminder too. I love that you're because I think a lot of the people who use social media, especially for business, there is a personalization to it. So they're not thinking about it just strategically. They're think they're actually taking it personally. And in doing that, it kind of it muddies the waters. Like you're not, then you're trying to create and then you're also getting insulted if something doesn't do well, which I mean, for young people makes sense. I feel like young people, they don't have the ability yet. And when I say young, I mean like people in their teens, they don't have the ability to decouple their self-worth from social media. Like I, when I was young, social media didn't exist. Thank God. So fuck, I know. Like I'm older than you. So for me, like my childhood Social media didn't come out till I was like 28, you know, 27, wow. something like that. So like Facebook came out then before there was like a sites like College Club, things like that, which probably no one knows about other than people my age. People in their 90s. <laughs> right. People in senior, <laughs> other senior citizens like me. You were around when it went, the TV went from white and black to color. I, I wasn't that far back. <laughs> Although maybe when I was a kid, I don't know. I'm kidding. Uh, I do remember the first computer though, and it was giant. Yeah. No, I I remember I used to play video games on it. I remember when the internet went ding. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think about the world before that. And listen, I'm all for how technology changes worlds. And obviously we're chatting today because technology connected us. So I'm so grateful for the richness that it brings. And I've also really thought too, like the world before cell phones and the internet, you were just so with the world, like you, you couldn't escape each moment. And while I think there's value to being able to sometimes escape painful moments, it's so hard for us now to even be with, you know, like we're having a conversation. I'm not concerned about getting a text right now, but you know, a lot of the times I know in the research, even if your phone is face down on the table on a date, it affects the amount of intimacy and vulnerability you share because of the possibility of your phone, just that it exists. Wow. Really? Yeah. 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 So I think about that and I'm like, because if you see it even down on the table, you're thinking about, do I have a notification? And then you go take a, you go say, you got to go to the bathroom, but really you go check your shit or you do both. I don't think there's a point in pretending like these things don't exist. I think it's more about living with it and doing everything in moderation and whatever it is that helps you. I've been in those. I, when I created daddy issues, my meme account and how long ago was that? Eight years ago. And it'll be nine years in July. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. So when you started it, when I started it and I think two years, a year into it or two years into it, when I became the it girl that year and I was gaining so much popularity, like 20,000 followers a day minimum. Jesus. Just, yeah. And every article was about me and it was, it was really cool. I got obsessed with that. You know, it was, it was such a high. Wow. I worked so hard for, for it. And now people are acknowledging me. People are noticing me. It's so cool. And it was, it was, it was when I, I think it was during the time I was anonymous and then during the time I became non-anonymous. So it was all this high. And of course I was also getting bullied by certain people. It doesn't matter, you know, that comes with the price, but it was such a high. And then the following year, what happens? There's a new it girl or it people. 
and suddenly you're a little in the back burner and suddenly people don't care about you as much or the growth uh, becomes stagnant. And that's a lot to take on. So I kind of had to process that. That was really hard because I was so used to all that attention. Of course, I took it personally because you would think, oh, maybe if I was thinner or maybe if I were prettier, oh, maybe I need to to do this to get more attention. Maybe I should do this. And it takes a toll versus realizing, well, when I first started, I wasn't focused on being popular. I did it because I wanted to help other people. And I did it because I wanted to make people laugh. I did it because I wanted to make people feel something. It wasn't about me. So I think whenever you make... Mm at least for me, whenever I made things about me, the popularity for me, I think it's usually when I lose myself versus when I stop. And I'm like, this is about other people. And the information that I'm putting out there is going to reach the people who need to hear it. And mm. once I focus on everyone, other people, then I think it's when I manage to succeed and continue with my success. And I've since had to reinvent myself and to find things I'm really passionate about again, which became my podcast after... Daddy issues is now continues to be my alter ego because I've outgrown this girl that I used to look up to. Because the whole story behind Daddy issues is that I was right, I felt so invisible in my life, and I created Daddy issues as my alter ego because she was this really cool girl that I felt that no one could ever think she's invisible. Everyone saw her. She was popular. She was cool. She was rich. She got invited to all the parties. All the boys liked her. She was everything I wasn't. And I wanted to be just like her. And I wrote a whole story about her. And that's how Daddy Issues came about. And that's when I got to see other people can relate to her or wish they were her. And that made me find myself. And then the older I got, the more I realized that she wasn't as cool. She's actually, she was actually insecure. She did actually want people to care about her. She was probably getting drunk and doing drugs all the time because that's what other people told her. That's cool. You know, I got to, I got to learn that no one knows who they are. Everyone's lost. And that means that you're cool by not caring about being cool. And then <laughs> I outgrown her. And that's when I created my podcast the last two years. And my podcast is more diving into the mental health space. And that same thing, it took me a, a second to find my foot in it. And first I was trying to talk about sex and things like that, because I thought it's what other people wanted to hear. And that's what will make me popular. And then I said, okay, V, focus again on what's going to help you heal and what's going to help others heal. What be true to yourself and talking about sex in my 30s just wasn't true to myself because I it's not me to want to laugh about you know like sucking dick yeah it's cool and great and all that but it's something I would do with my partner it's not something I want to do <laughs> like I'm not in my 20s anymore I don't talk like that and yeah. if I can't and I can't pretend to be someone I'm not because it's obvious so I dived into the things I cared about again unlearning everything I grew up with, with what I thought love was and the relearning what actual love is. And I'm still on that journey. And I get to share with my peers. And I think eventually, if you are passionate about what you do and you don't give up, eventually it does reach the right people. Even, even shows that you watch, sometimes you only hear about a show in the third season and that's when it blows up and becomes popular. I think that's what sets you apart so with whatever it is you're passionate about. It's the people who let failure, quote unquote failure, allow it to fail and they stop. Or it's the people who continue, keep getting up again, reinventing themselves over and over and over again until they're finally in the right room. Because one thing people need to learn is that if you are in a room where people don't get you or they don't laugh at your jokes or they don't agree with what you have to offer or they, it's not for them or they pass on you, blah, blah, then it doesn't mean that you 
don't have what it takes or that you don't have talent or that what you're offering isn't good enough. It means you're in the wrong room. So it's up to you to realize that there's nothing, it's not, has nothing to do with your value and to go keep trying over and over again until you find your people, till you find out that you are in the right room and people value what you have to offer. No, don't give up. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Well, it's so true. I was reading recently, uh, I don't know who wrote it. I can't remember. I wish I could, but it was really beautiful in that it was talking about how if we place our value in how something performs or how season one does or whatever it is that we're doing, what happens then is that a lot of art never gets made because we don't believe it's going to do well. And I, yeah, I remember when I read that, I was like, isn't that so interesting? Like in a world that we think validation comes from likes and shares and views. And so we don't think something's worth creating unless it gets that. And so a lot of things never get created now. And I was like, oh man, that's so sad that we have reshaped this, but that doesn't, you know, of course now art can be created from the grief of that awareness and art created from grief is always good. You know, and what you were saying about the reinvention, I wanted to come back to that. So in creating daddy issues, which I think is really fascinating that daddy issues kind of represents what is sort of the ideal archetype of what we might envision or idealize on social media, right? Like what you were saying about the parties liked by everybody, rich, all the things. And then this recognition that in presenting that or making people laugh through that, that you see for yourself too, that value is not actually in that. Did you find that in that recognition or awareness? Did you find that you found value was actually in exploring your grief and the things that hurt and, and going, which is now of course what your podcast has turned into. Like, was there a, a richness and an awareness to your complexity that you all of a sudden saw it not as something that was broken, but actually something that was beautiful and worthy of being accepted and explored? Well, I personally believe that pain is one of the most beautiful emotions we can experience. I live for pain. I love it. But maybe that's also what people who feel deeply have to tell themselves to survive or to make it through. But I think in general, we have to tell ourselves these little pick-me-ups to kind of get through in life because life is not easy. Life is not a straight line for anyone, no matter how much they pretend that it is. It's not. And of course, when I say the pain is the most beautiful thing, I mean, say that to somebody that lost their child to cancer, they're really going to believe me? No. So that's, again, that's just something you have to tell yourself to get through life to accept the fact that some the people you love are going to die eventually or the disappointments are going to happen or you may go through the you or the person you love may not love you one day how are you going to justify that so it's little lies that i believe we tell ourselves little white lies to help us get through when it comes to daddy issues when i wrote about this alter ego the cool girl when i started posting the memes it wasn't about haha look how rich i am it was more about the things that I thought were wrong with me that no one else can relate to and then seeing 
that that is actually what people relate to the most, mm. whether it's being rejected when it comes to dating, not getting the job you want, being unhappy in the job you, you like and things like that. So it was the cool girl posting because me as a person who felt invisible, I felt too invisible to talk about things that bother me because I just assumed no one could relate to me. But as the cool girl, my alter ego that I'm writing about, I didn't feel the, the shame of sharing because it was in a weird way where I felt six feet apart from her. So if she posts about it and it doesn't work out, then it's not my embarrassment. It's not my failure. It's hers. Mm. It's kind of the same thing when you're dating someone or when you make friends and you pretend to be someone you're not and then you get rejected by it. Then you think in your brain, well, at least I got rejected by pretending to be someone else. At least I didn't get rejected after they got to know who I really am because that would hurt even more. So I think the alter ego was a way to kind of protect myself. Plus, she was anonymous. So it was it was a way where I was protecting myself that in case it doesn't work out, no one's going to know. So if I fail, no one will know that I failed. And people are not rejecting me if something's not funny. They're rejecting her. And she can take it. She's a cool girl. She doesn't have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> what made you uh, come out of anonymity with that? Eventually... I became her. So the more I kept pretending to be her, eventually, and I've told the audience of Daddy Issues is that in a weird way, they created me. They created her and they created me. And the more I pretended to be her, the more I became her, the more confident I became because I, it's, it was the first time in my life when I realized that the way you fit in is by not caring to fit in. And there's no such thing as one box you can fit into. That's a whole... If you really give social media a chance, it does have so many positive aspects to it. It's not, if you seek hate and you seek negativity, that's where you're going to find. But there's also the other beautiful side of it, that if you seek positivity and you seek like-minded people and people to connect with, you will be able to find that as well. And for me, it felt that I was at my lowest when I created it, which is also why I believe that pain is one of the most beautiful emotions we can experience because you usually end up creating the most beautiful things. Plus the beautiful thing about rock bottom is that you're standing on something. So you can Mm. only go up from that. I agree. I think pain is one of the most powerful alchemists in in terms of turning into creativity. Like you think of all the best music, it's usually about heartbreak, you know, or it elicits something in us. And I remember a friend of mine who studies music and psychology, she said that uh, we listen to sad music to remind us that other people are sad too. And I know. And I remember attending this workshop from Lisa Nichols and she said, no one identifies with your perfection. Like it is not connective. It's not relatable. It's bullshit. Everyone identifies with imperfection. And I remember it sparked me writing something about relationships that when you embrace your own perfections and actually lead with them from that sense of confidence that you're talking about, it invites and gives permission to other people to lead with their imperfections. Yeah. And so it's really is what connects us. Think about reality TV. People love when people fuck up. People loved when Britney Spears, you know, had her first breakdown. I mean, it's sad that we love those things because we like what reality TV took over because we wanted to see these people. We hold on pedestals in their humanness, you know? And I think that's sometimes a sad thing we do about people in general, but, you know, especially celebrities and people on the internet is we hold them on these pedestals. And when they are humanized, we're disappointed in them, but it's really the expectation we've created that creates this idol 
you know, and I've certainly done that. And then you find out the humanness in someone and you're disappointed. And then you realize that you're the one that created it. Yeah. But most people don't sit around realizing that. So they just, it's just something that they can hate on, but you know, that's their own journey and you can't help everyone. So I'm not even going to dive into that. I've also never been obsessed with celebrities. I never understood the culture behind the celebrity obsession. Look, at the end of the day, there's a saying and it says only God is meant to be worshipped. Humans are not meant to be worshipped. And that's why a lot of times humans don't know what to do with all the popularity or with people worshipping them because it's unnatural. It doesn't feel right. And then people get upset if you're not kind. People always, I think, get upset at celebrities if they're not always wearing a smile because apparently that's what they're supposed to do or if they ever get upset if there's a phone like a what's his face that one guy that's a singer there was a phone in his face and he got annoyed and he just threw away the phone and everyone got so upset about it but in reality it's just eventually everyone has a breaking point and they act like regular human beings and people get upset at them as for the perfection part i completely agree with you i'm such a perfectionist my standards are so high that no one can live up to them not even me (laughs) <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. such a struggle for perfectionists. And that's when I always have to come down from my pedestal that I put up for myself that I can't reach. And it's always my friends who kind of remind me, V, the reason people can relate to you is because you're not perfect. It's because you discuss your imperfections. No one can relate to you when you're perfect, not even yourself. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's really funny. But it's also funny when you find out that other people struggle with the same thing as you. And if I had to dissect my need to be perfect, obviously it would come from thinking that, well, if I did this, if I did that, then I would be loved. Then people Mm -hmm. would value me. And in your work and in your friendships, how has that shifted? You know, like you stepped into this reinvention of creating your podcast, which I know you have so many guests, you explore so many subjects of relationship, mental health, emotional health, everything. Because it sounds to me like you've just been on a constant, authentic version journey. Like, it's not like a previous version of you wasn't authentic. It's always authentic in terms of your expression and your exploration. Um, But yeah, I'm curious as you reinvent, is that what made you aware of friendships that weren't aligned too? Yes. I started giving myself space to be wrong, but also I started giving myself space to accept the fact that. I am allowed to change my mind at any time, that I'm allowed to outgrow people, that I'm allowed to grow. And one thing that happens when you start becoming your true self or better understanding yourself or doing the work on yourself is that you will attract everyone. So it's not you're just like, oh, I'm only attracting shitty people. I'm only attracting great people. You attract everyone. And a lot of people, when 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 your aura starts to shine or when you are seem to be very helpful, or when you're so focused on yourself, a lot of people are going to want to be around you. And that's something you just have to accept. And you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to let a lot of people down by putting yourself first and choosing your mental health first. I think that's a struggle for a lot of us who are people pleasers, especially growing up as a people pleaser, myself included. It's hard for me to say no, but I've been learning a lot from my mother who's now teaching me that, you know, life is very short and you have to put yourself first, even if that means disappointing other people. And honestly, at this point, I rather let other people down by being honest with them and with myself that I don't have the emotional capacity to give them what they need versus having them stick around 
them feeling happy because they get to cross my boundaries constantly and then me just feeling constantly anxious and unhappy because they're constantly crossing my boundaries. So Mm -hmm. like I just now experienced that this morning where yesterday I had to kind of put a stop with a friend. I saw the red flags and this time I decided to not continue and I tried to tread carefully, but people just don't listen. People only hear what they want to hear. And this person just kept saying, well, a good friend will never, would never say that. A good friend would never judge me. And I said, hey, are you paying attention to what you're doing right now? This is textbook gaslighting. We both had different definitions of what a good friend is. That's great that that's your definition. But I'm telling you right now how I felt. So you can't disregard my feelings or how I felt and tell me that that's not correct or real. I keep telling you, you're crossing my boundaries. And you keep being upset because I'm not delivering what I need to when I'm telling you. I'm unable to deliver what you need from me. Well, I just feel like I deserve this and this. Yes, 100%. You deserve all of it. But I'm telling you, I can't give you that. So I don't know why you keep asking me for that still. And it's so fascinating, though, when this happens, because it opens my eyes up because I've been on the the end of both sides. So when I see that with my friend, it reminds me, oh, now it makes sense when I've been on the other end and I'm demanding someone to give me what the attention, the love, the validation. I was crossing their boundaries. They actually Mm. didn't care anymore. And here I am asking all the wrong people for what I needed, when in reality, you don't need to ask people for what you need. The the people who mesh well with you will already give that to you. But we're always, for some reason, standing in front of the people who won't give us what we want or need. And (laughs) those are the people we demand it from. The strange irony that we pursue people who wound us in the same way that we're familiar with. You know, when someone else is standing like behind them, like, hey, you could just express what you need to me and I'll give it to you. And we're like, nah. But the only, you know, it makes me think of this quote from Rachel Maddox, where I shared it recently on a solo episode. Every no creates space for your sacred yes. We don't really consider how powerful a no is because when we stop putting energy into friendships like the one you're talking about now we, our energy is directed towards what we want to create and what's possible. We also are protecting our energy on such a high level because engaging in friendships like that, that are conditional, very conditional. Like if you give me these things, then we're good. We're optimal friends. If you don't, then you're not, I'm going to use shame and guilt to try to get you to get back into the behaviors I'm comfortable with. And right. I've been learning, learning this recently as a recovering people pleaser that when someone else is upset with the boundary or the expression I'm having, it doesn't invalidate the expression. Like it doesn't invalidate what my truth is. And also they can be upset and we can still be good. You know, that's the other thing that I've noticed just in repairing with people very close to me that I'll often just explicitly say, I can be upset about what's happened and I still love you. Like I'm an adult. I can handle this emotion that's coming up for me. And I still love you because so much of my fear as a kid or what I experienced was that if I create emotional upset, then they won't like me, then the relationship's not safe anymore. Or if I'm upset, they'll feel so bad that I'm upset that they'll try, they'll get defensive or gaslight or want to repair. And I'm like, it's good. Like, we're good. I'm upset. You're upset. We're still friends or maybe we're not depending on the circumstance. Normally, I would have the guilt. Whenever I've said someone, I feel so much guilt. And then I, my first instinct is to say, you know what? Forget about it. It's fine. It's fine. But this is when I'm learning where I have that instinct to stop myself and to just stop. No, 
because my first instinct was a correct one where I needed the space, where I need to take a step back, where I'm not going to allow the shame or the guilt to guilt me. And I'm, I'm very proud of myself now that I'm able very recently to be able to do that and to kind of put myself first. And Hell also yeah. those other people, they're also not wrong with how they're feeling. Right. But they should go find whatever they need from someone else. Because the truth is no one has power over you. You only give other people power over you when you need something from them. And I think a lot of people don't realize it. You only have power over me if I need something from you. If my feelings are hurt by you and I can't let it go and I'm upset and all that, it's because subconsciously there's something I need from you. So for example, with my current friend, the reason I'm okay with it is because I don't need anything from the friendship. The reason my friend is so upset because they want to continue crossing my boundaries is because they really benefited from crossing my right. boundaries. They need something. And when you need something, and I'm talking about whether it's validation, love, love connection, connections, yeah. uh, a shout out, whatever it is, that's what's really... Shout out. <laughs> so true. Whatever it is. But if you were able to release that, you will realize that that person doesn't hold power over you. You wouldn't be as offended. You wouldn't be as upset. You would just would be able to release it and allow things to just happen. That's a powerful reflection, I think, that a lot of people will relate to. Is as soon as they stop sourcing whatever they're sourcing from the relationship, even if it is connection at the cost of themselves, just acknowledging that they're they are they're needing something, and because they're needing something, that's creating an energetic hook that's keeping them stuck in codependent, maybe sometimes abusive dynamics. It's hard to admit that though, but it's true. People only hold power over you if you need something from them. Here's an example: I liked a boy a while, like forever ago. And to show him how much I like him, I helped him out by using my connections to give him something. He then took it and didn't thank me, just continued on his way and did his own thing. That hurt my feelings. And I got upset and I, and I called him out about it, you know, and then he, you know, thanked me, but it was in the way where I forced him to thank me. <laughs> and I'm in my head like, what an asshole, blah, blah. When in reality, he held power over me and he had the ability to make me upset because I did something for him in the hopes that he would like me more because I needed the validation and the likeness from him. I thought it would mean something, mm. but it didn't. He said, thank you and went on his way because, you know, you shouldn't do things for people it, with the expectations to get something in return, but we're only human. And just because I life coach and do all these things doesn't mean I don't have those moments where I don't notice that I'm yeah. doing things like of this. Course. And you're human. Exactly. And once I took a step back and I realized, why am I so upset by him? Oh, because I need him. I needed his validation. I needed him to say, good job. Wow, you're so amazing with your connections. We should date. <laughs> I needed that from him. <laughs> yeah. So once I took that away from, from our dynamic, I took away the power that he was holding over me. And I was like, you know what? Who cares? He's really not nothing special. He can have my one-time connections. And off I go. And I also learned my lesson to stop proving to people why they need to like me. Because I have this thing where I will do everything in my power by using my connections to help someone in their work, a man, usually a, a few potential partner, because I think that's the only way they're able to like me. When in reality, I should also give them the space to just get to know me to see if they like me. Or Yeah, free from those things, of course. Or I shouldn't, I shouldn't want to be with someone that only likes me for my connections. 
you know, Amen. I should appreciate myself enough that I have more to offer. But I think in that moment, I forgot. I was like, how can I compete with all these other women who like this guy or all these other attractive women in this world? Oh, I know I can, I can show him that I'm valuable with my connections. Maybe then he'll like me. So I think, you know, go to therapy, Violet. It's your daddy <laughs> issues. Figure that part out. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, we do. We do that. We, we think that our value, I see that a lot as a red flag in dating, you know, where someone will at the very early part in dating, often a man, but sometimes a woman will take them on a lavish trip, buy them a lavish present very early. And I'm like, red flag. Has no one watched Tinder Swindler? It's a great model of like one woman who sets some boundaries and another woman who gets captivated. Both of them get exploited, but one especially because she is swept up by the story and this idea, you know, much like Disney, you know, that this person's going to change and they're going to save you and they got you. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to um, Frick, I forget who it was, but it was a really interesting conversation. And they were saying that the model of the story that we've been sold about love is that there's going to be this bad boy, billionaire, you know, cop, CIA, like military, like this overtly aggressive masculine or exploitive masculine. And I'm not saying all people who do that are that. I'm just talking about the archetype. So this archetype of badass male who isn't in touch with his feelings, but if he meets the right woman, he softens. And think about Fifty Shades of Grey. It's like exactly that. That's one of the most popular stories of, you know, it's like porn for the female mind, which is really, so we have these fantasies. And I just see that same sort of like sweeping gesture that people get captured by. And it's like one of the greatest things you can do to find and create great partnership is to actually be in charge of the pace yourself. Like not allow someone else to dictate the pace because that's a very unconscious way of people pleasing and a very unconscious way of waiting to be chosen, which most people date waiting to be chosen, not seeing like, fuck, is this person a good fit for me? Like, I think that's, you know, I used to be like that as soon as I felt a connection. I'm like, oh, I guess this is it. This is the <laughs> one, you know? I agree. But this is where I would like to interject and say interject <laughs> and say that this is not just with dating. This is with friendships as well. Yeah, and again, so the thing that we don't talk about, for example, I always go back to old friendships because I think, oh, well, they know me or I think, well, things will be different this time, just like we do with exes because everyone says, don't go back to your ex. No one tells you, don't go back to your friends. But my sister, every time I do that with a old friend because it just feels comfortable my sister says oh how's that working out for you and then every time it stops working out she goes i told you and even recently she said people don't change and i was like i think they do maybe they do but she's Sometimes. right people mostly don't change like for example the way i reacted where i suddenly needed space that is my go-to thing i thought about it and i realized oh in that way i haven't changed that is what i like do like you react and then push away i react in the way that i sit and i think about it i'm silent I start being silent. The other person notices. And then I'm finally honest and I say, hey, I would like to take a step back. I always been the person to not communicate and then ask for a step back. I haven't changed that, that means, light. It's a good move. I mean, it works. Still, it doesn't. There's a <laughs> yeah. really interesting um, therapist who talks about, they call them vulnerability cycles, and that being one of them. Like we withdraw 
And we usually learn it as kids. People come towards us. What's wrong? That was me. I'd be like, go to my room, sulk or like hide or whatever. And then mom would come, well, are you okay? And, and it works till it doesn't, right? Are you okay? And then I'd get to share what I'm actually upset about instead of being forthright with it. I mean, I hear you on that. I think that's very human. We have to learn where the boundary needs to come in earlier, right? And then that's the growth. Yes, but, but with friendships, I've noticed that, you know, because we're talking about the dating and the patterns, you can repeat a childhood trauma in friendships as well. And that's what oh, I'm trying yeah. to kind of express. I think I tend to attract friendships where the woman has mommy issues and I attract that. Daddy and I, issues and, and mommy issues. And I've only started to notice that recently. And even with my recent friend, I said, because she would always tell me every time she, she would do something, she'll say, oh my God, uh, oh, so I did this and this today. And I've noticed I always need to tell her, oh, good job, good girl, you're doing really well. Yeah. And I started to notice I'm doing that with one of my friends. And that's when I was sitting there and I realized, oh, she's repeating a pattern with me. She always needed that validation from her mother. That never happened. And now she is drawn to women who are more similar to me, who are very aggressive. And no matter what she will do, she will not feel good enough with me. And that's why she goes out of her way to try to prove herself to me. And that's why I constantly have to tell her good job because she's repeating a pattern over and over again with me and other women like me, hoping that the outcome will be different this time, that this time we will be proud of her just like her mother wasn't. So when I try to bring that up to her, it did not go well because she didn't ask for my advice. <laughs> she wasn't like, hey, I don't need a therapist. <laughs> yeah, a she friend. was like, I am, don't want to talk about this. Why bring this that up? That would be and very like, confronting, Oops. though, to be told that. Uh, which, uh, yeah. it, it, don't get me wrong, it's still a truth. And I think friendships that are especially valuable, I think there's different friendships for different things. But <laughs> yeah. I think of friendships that are especially valuable are the ones that call you towards the truth. Of your growth. Well, sometimes people are not ready to see what you're seeing. <laughs> no, and I've learned that. You're like, yo, way. you got mommy issues and you should start up an Instagram <laughs> account called Mommy Issues. She's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So when that didn't go well, but then she, and the more I take a step back, the more that, per- and it, every time I have the same pattern happening with my friendships where some of these women end up attracting, they always go, when I'm like, I need space, they're like, you're afraid of of love. You're afraid of being loved because other people fucked you over, but I'll never do that to you. No one will ever love you the way I love you. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, God. you so girls toxic. are all repeating a pattern and you're not seeing it. And I can't be your fucking mother or your fucking therapist or your fucking dad. Hello. I'm curious, is part of your pattern to be the one who does, like, did you have to affirm a parent as a kid or like? Yeah, we always go back to that, but no, I didn't. I just wonder why you find yourself in those power dynamics. Not to, you know, I find myself in those too. So it, No, I it's know you and I have had this conversation numerous times because the way yeah. I'm presenting this pattern, it would seem as if I had a mother that was dependent on me. But that's not the case at all. Yeah, it's not. No, my true. mother is so loving and sweet. And I actually my mother has so many kind emotions. And growing up, I view that as weakness. And it's my father that I thought was so strong because he never showed emotion or loved me. <laughs> so I was just busy chasing that type of love. And when I got older is when I found out that my father and I were the weak ones and my mother was the strongest person I know because she was able to freely express her emotions and express and communicate. And she went through so many hardships in her life and she chose to not let her heart be cold and not hardened. And instead, she chose to still give so much love to this world. My mom's the strongest human I know. So I got to learn all of that. I I think maybe as a child, 
I think, I don't know how this happened, but I think I somehow always took on the responsibility to try to make everything okay for everyone else around yeah. me without anyone asking. So I was always pretending to be that's fine. That's kind of similar. But no one asked me for it. That's the thing. Well, yeah, that's a natural thing for a kid to be the, you know, if you notice the system needs someone to make everything fine because the system feels unsafe, that's a role you just unconsciously take. But, you know, if you feel like as when we're younger, if we feel like our mother didn't stand up enough or she was too complacent, even though we recognize as adults that there's value in their emotion and they were actually really beautifully sensitive, there can be the desire that we want more balance. Like we want someone who's emotional with a backbone, someone who's emotional, who's like stands up to the dominant emotion. So that can be it. I don't think you need to pathologize it, you know, cause you're changing it anyways. I think it was more, I was a very emotional kid without knowing I'm an emotional kid. And I've always been able to feel everyone's emotions. So I've always been able to feel when something's not right. And I used to also express myself. And I mean, even when I was an accountant, uh, if someone tells me something and I can read their body language, I'm not understanding that I'm an empath or whatever you want to say. So I'm saying, you're not telling the truth. That's not what you mean right now. And people used to, I remember, and this is like one of my 20s, people would get upset at me because they're like, Violetta, that's inappropriate. Why are you saying that? And I'm like, well, I can tell that their words are not matching <laughs> You're like, this feeling. ledger doesn't make sense. No, I mean, someone tells me I want to work with you and they're not, they don't mean it, I would be confused because I would say, no, you don't. You don't mean that. You don't want to work together. That's fine. Why, why can't you just be honest? And people would be like, <gasps> Violetta. So that's how I learned to kind of shout it off. But I also think- Were I you think, in the US when that happened? As an accountant, yes. But I think when we moved from Israel to America and I got to grow up with a sister who was always seeing the, the glass half empty, my father always seeing the glass half empty, it kind of forced me in a weird way to be the positive one and to, to take on that responsibility without anyone asking me. So when we moved to the U.S. and my sister's going to school, she hates it and she's complaining to my parents, even though I was going to school and I was a loner and I had no friends and I would just eat in the bathroom I didn't want to stress my parents out more. So I started taking on that responsibility where I told my parents, oh my God, best day ever, another amazing day in school. And I would just keep the crying or the sadness to myself because I just wanted to make them happy. And I think in that weird way, I kind of took on the responsibility of always being the one to keep the peace. And I would just, my feelings. I, yeah. And I, I think I felt, I didn't feel safe with my feelings. So I kept that to myself and I would just bring the one to bring joy to everyone. But I've always been that type of person where people would see my light and take a little from it. And I've even expressed myself that as an adult, I think my innocence, my light got taken away from me without my permission. And only as I got older and I became a hateful teenager eventually and I saw a lot of darkness. And then when I became older, it's almost like I gave myself permission to feel again and to better understand myself. And I feel like I got my innocence and my light back. And now mm. I know better than to give it to anyone without my permission. And that's why I have so many boundaries. Hell and that's yeah. why I'm upsetting so many people sometimes when they can't cross it, but I don't care because I could die tomorrow. And I'd rather die feeling happy and free than feeling suffocated by people. And by the way, it's okay. I'm so tired of the fact that everyone thinks there's only one path. It's my way or no way. Friendships should be the ones where you call each other every single day and blah, blah. No, that's your opinion. That's not <laughs> how I feel. And that's okay. Right. Go find someone who needs to meet those needs, but it's not you. Yeah. 
And that's, that's okay. Like when we love boundaries and we have them and we, res- we respect other people's. Like when we know the value of boundaries, we respect other people's boundaries. And I think that's one thing that I've really valued in friendships that when someone says, I don't have the capacity for that or whatever it is, I don't get upset. I'm like, way to go. Like, I love that. I love that you're, you feel safe to share that with me. That I consider a very great honor. And I, just as I get older, I wish they taught all this in school. Cause I'm like, man, imagine being in like junior high and learning about boundaries and people pleasing. Of course you'd go back home and you'd be like, shit's fucked up here. <laughs> but yeah. I just think about how valuable all of our lives would be if there was a class about emotional health, relationships, and boundaries. Like, oh, we would heal the world. Yeah. But I think in a way where you can also understand where other people are coming from. Yeah. Because a lot of times it seems that when people listen to a lot of these podcasts or do their own research and all that, a lot of it has to do with how this makes me feel. Yeah. What's broken about them. Yeah. Everyone else is the problem and I deserve this and this and this. But you, if you want other people to show up for you, you have to show up for them. If you're looking for someone to be honest and bring all this value to you, you have to make sure that you are also honest and can bring all this value for them. And you have to be honest with yourself. Do I really actually just need a lot from this person Because and I can't deliver the same? Because a lot of times I think we're not being honest with ourselves. So when what happened with my friendship breakup or whatever it is, the space that I need with my friend, is that I was also able to open up my eyes and understand when this is when I was on the other end with some of my other friends, mm-hmm. the truth is mm-hmm. I did need more from them than they could take from me. So now I do see their point of view and why someone else didn't want to be my friend or someone else needed space for me. I get it. So I think that's the important part where it's not just about it's everyone else's fault. It's how, how can I learn from this? Was I ever going through this experience when I was on the other end? Does it now make sense for me? Were that other person really not the bad guy after all? Because in reality, most of the time, the people you're dealing with, and I'm talking about in a very general sense, they're not gaslighting you. They're not a narcissist, right. book, textbook narcissist. They're not a textbook right. sociopath, all these words that we like to use to other people. They're human beings and they're expressing themselves the best way they know how. And it's just not a match. And we will tell ourselves whatever we need to hear to survive by being like, well, they just don't deserve someone like me or, well, they're a narcissist or they're gaslighting me and this and this, when in reality, they just don't want you. And that's okay. Go somewhere else and find someone else that'll make you happy. The end. It's so simple. You know, it's- We tell ourselves a story that's not true. We create, we create a whole villain in our, in our story. Oh, that person's a villain. No, they're just, they're doing their best. And for their own mental health, they don't want to be around me. That's fine. You know, they're lost. Bye. They don't have the capacity and that's okay. You know, I- it makes me think of two things. One, when we, when I learned about boundaries, I remember very long ago, one thing that really completely changed my perspective on boundaries was first, we usually think about boundaries being like keeping bad behavior out. But boundaries is also about keeping our own behavior, thoughts, feelings, and opinions in, like our own c- containing ourselves. You know, we think about it as like drawing a line between us and other, but that still means we got to draw a line around ourselves. Like I used to bulldoze my opinions onto people. Now at least I have a social media and they can just unfollow me. But I used to do that in class. My report card in grade six has 
many comments about how Mark feels the need to give his unsolicited opinion about others in class. That was very true. And it's funny that the thing that got criticized is now, at least because I'm more mindful of it, becomes a superpower when it's honed. That Wait, that's really cool, by the way. I think everyone, I didn't even realize what you just said. I, I never processed that. That's so true. Boundaries with ourselves. I then cross those boundaries all the time where I keep it to myself, mm. keep it to myself. And I said, well, you know what? This is actually why it's not working out. And then I'm too honest with things that nobody asked me for. And that's when the fight starts. So thank you for educating <laughs> me right now about the fact that I am not being true to myself because I crossed my own boundaries by not shutting the fuck up when I need to. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. You know, I think for me, I used to be very reactive in terms of my boundaries because I didn't share them so early. So I'd be like doormat, doormat, doormat. And then I would call it the pressure cooker because I'd pop. And then I realized that it's because I just allowed too much. I didn't stand in my values earlier because I didn't want to disappoint people, you know, insert people pleasing. Because people say they want honesty, but they don't mean it. Because then when you're honest, they're like, where's that coming from? So then you you feel, for me personally, I feel the need to just keep my mouth shut. And I'm like, let it go, let it go, let it go. And then eventually Can't it's too that. much. Yeah. Well, now I think about the physiological cost. So for me, what's made it a much greater responsibility to communicate earlier is I actually think about the impact on my health of not telling the truth and sharing my boundary early. Because now I just know too much about the inflammatory impact of codependency because it causes your body to be flooded with cortisol all the time, causes which impacts your immune system, impacts your metabolism, impacts, it creates tons of inflammation, impacts your blood glucose, which again, not good, diabetes, heart disease, right? Like all these things. And I just think about how not just for myself and my health, how important good boundaries are and good emotional regulation but also for everyone I'm in relationship with. I mean, that is such a big deal to be able to be a model and share and create a relationship with someone. Like whenever there's a disruption in a core relationship, what I'll often say is, here's what I need and here's what I'm committed to. I'm committed to creating a relationship with you that's respectful and kind. And if you're committed to creating that too, I'm a fucking open door. But if you're not, then I'm not. And that's okay, you know, and you start to feel a sense of peace being created because we're really protecting our own environment. And what you said, like, we invest in these people often who aren't even fucking investing, you know, like that to me is like the, I, I, you and I talked about that quote of like in a room of a thousand people who could choose <laughs> us, we dr we're drawn to the one who doesn't, who isn't interested. Right. And Not I wrote me, that from but... the place. <laughs> right. I, I was like that. And now I just see like how unproductive that is and how people pleasing isn't even loving to the people that we're in relationship with. But you, you made such a good point, which I loved uh, in the past. I forget which one of our episodes. And you made a good point about how we don't realize when we're chasing emotionally unavailable people, friendship or relationship, we don't realize that in a weird way, we are actually also emotionally mm -hmm. unavailable, have some of those aspects because we are constantly choosing. We're choosing to chase that person. We're choosing to go through that. And it's actually our choice to stop the relationship. You can wake up one day and ask yourself, this is what I do all the time. Every day I wake up and ask myself, is this working for me? 
whatever it is I'm going through, is it working for me? And if every day you say, yes, this is still working for me, where I'm chasing someone and they give me crumbs, but I'm good enough with that. Until one day you wake up and you say, no, I deserve more. Is this working for me? No, it's not. And then you can make a choice and you can stop. And when you stop, you're free and you can release yourself. I was in a relationship with my ex for eight years or so on and off. He never loved me the way I needed to be loved. Okay, let's be honest. When it comes to your your childhood trauma, regardless how amazing your childhood was, one of your parents will somehow accidentally give you some type of trauma. It doesn't matter how great both of them were. Even if your mother loved you, she may have loved you too much. And as a man, you will then accidentally be turned off by women who remind you of your mother, but you will end up dating them on accident. And then you won't love them enough (laughs) because they remind you of brother. That's Mm. a whole thing, you know? But (laughs) that's besides the point. So the point is that the first person in your life who will break your heart, if it's the opposite sex or same sex, whatever it is that you're into, is your parent. So me, the first boy to break my heart was my dad. And after that, as I was growing up, I kept trying to date men similar to my father because my little childhood brain was revisiting a trauma and hoping that this time the outcome will be different. And this time, this boy will love me. So I dated a guy who had the emotional capacity of my father, which was very emotionally unavailable. And for eight years, I did everything I could to impress him, to make sure he's proud of me, to make sure that this time he will love me instead of just working on my relationship with my father. Until one day I woke up and I realized this boy will never give me the validation that I need because it has nothing to do with this boy. It has to do with my relationship with my father. And I don't need that validation anymore because I love myself. And you know what? For fuck's sake, that needs to be enough. (laughs) It needs to be done. And I let it go. And I stopped loving him because I never actually loved him. And I didn't need the validation. He didn't hold power over me anymore because I didn't need that daddy validation from him anymore. I had it with myself. And that's the Mm. day that I also decided to work on my relationship with my father. And how did I work on my relationship with my father? I wasn't scared anymore to be rejected by my own father, which is such a weird concept for a lot of people to understand that you you fear getting rejected by your own parents. I said, I'm going to start telling my dad that I love him and I don't care that I'm not going to hear it back. I don't feel rejected because I know he loves me in his own way. And I started doing that nonstop until one day he said it back and I worked in my relationship with my father. And when my ex kept trying to come back, I said, no, thank you. I've seen that movie. I know how it ends. And I don't want to see that movie anymore. I'm good. I'm ready for a different movie. Bye. Mm. Amen. Writing a different story. Well, I'm grateful that I get to be friends with you and witness you as you write this new story. (laughs) Thank you. Which uh, I'm about to be a father, which is wild to think in a month at the time of this uh, recording. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, I interviewed Dr. Shafali yesterday, who's a, she teaches conscious parenting. And she said to me that when, because I was talking about my nephew and I wanted to play with him, he's 15 months. And my nephew was like, kind of gave me like, I don't want to do what you want to do. Like I wanted to, I was like, let's play with these blocks. And he's like, no. And I could feel a part of me feel rejected. And of course I was mindful. This is a 15 month old. This isn't rejection. But she said to me that, when you feel rejected, abandoned, or unliked or unloved by your child, which she said often comes up for parents, especially fathers early on, because the child has a a greater bond with mom, which makes sense survival-wise. She said, it's not that the child has rejected you. It's that the child is reminding you of an emotion of a time you felt rejected. 
and you haven't processed it and you haven't sat with it. And I was like, as she was telling this, this thought, I was like being reminded of all the, like, I was like, oh, fuck, my 15 month old nephew just reminded me that I have an unprocessed rejection. Yeah. And my God, what a, well, what an awareness. Because you can't sit with a, with a baby and be like, or a child, a, a <laughs> right. three, four or five year old and be like, okay, I need you to understand that you right now are hurting my feelings. Can we talk about this? They're going to be like, what? Daddy has rejection issues. <laughs> And you have to never say no to me so that I can feel emotionally regulated. <laughs> it's different. With adults, we expect some type of responsibility for our feelings, yeah. even though they also don't owe us anything. But with children, it's kind of the innocence where we have to understand that, you know, it's really one way. I mean, for example, I went to, I spent the whole day at Disneyland with my niece both of my nieces and it's one of them is her birthday she just turned five and we were so tired we were on our feet from uh we were awake we were up since five from 5 a.m and then we got home at 8 p.m so when we're getting back home and we're finally giving her presents i gave her six gifts you know five for being five and six for next year and I'm, I'm tired, but i'm so excited to give it to her and she had no expression and then the last <laughs> gift was the best one and i say mia it's a Dolce & Gabbana dress. Look, because, you know, me as a kid, uh, we were poor. I, I, no one would ever be able to afford to buy me something like that. So I'm thinking, so now I'm finding value with a gift because that value then shows, you know, look how much I've, look, look how much I've achieved that I'm able yeah. to now give my niece something I was never able to get, even though it's just a gift, has no real value. I spend time with her, you know, maybe that's what as a child or my sister my sister values quality time way more than gifts. So my sister doesn't get it and my niece is not going to get it. But I'm like, look, Dolce & Gabbana dress. And you could just see how much she could give a shit. She doesn't know what Dolce & Gabbana is. <laughs> yeah, and she just right. like, you know, because she's thinking, how can I play with this? It's just a dress, you know? But I'm like, but I, I'm like, I got a matching dress as well, but not Dolce & Gabbana because I didn't want to spend that much money on me. But you deserve it. Do you like it, Mia? And she's like, thanks. Like, and I was yay. just like looking at my sister, like, are you joking? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but then I understood right. it's not personal. It's because I I thought I would get some validation like, yes, you can afford it now. Look at you. You made it. You made this happen. As if my five-year-old, the five-year-old niece gives a shit. She wouldn't care if it was a Target dress or a Dolce & Gabbana dress. I did it for myself to right. show that look how far I've come. It wasn't for yeah. her. It was for me. Yeah, it's so interesting to be able to sit with that, hey? To like witness yourself in the experience, which is why I think children are such amazing teachers. Because yeah. like, Dr. Shafali was saying to me like, oh yeah, you think romantic relationship is teaching you. Should I get ready to have a child? And I was like, damn. But also I think the cool thing about children is that I better understand them, especially watching my sister with them, is that we can't, well, I think parenting is changing nowadays. And mm -hmm. parents are more aware of their kids' emotions and they care more. But we can't, uh, we can't minimize children's emotions either. Because a lot of times we watch a child get upset if we take away their toy or, or, or whatever it is. And they cry and you're like, hey, stop crying. It's not a big deal. But we don't realize that that is their world. Like, for example, in Disneyland, right. my niece's world is going to school, hang out with her friends, and then celebrating her birthday at Disneyland and getting to dress like a princess and having a wand. So when the wand is taken away from her for, to, for her sister, that's, that was her world. That's all she knows. 
is her birthday, Disneyland, and the princesses she watches every day on TV. The wand was everything for her, and it got taken away, and she's going to cry. It is a big deal. That would be my sister comparative, for example, if I just lost a brand deal and somebody and I'm crying about it because I was going to be my my paycheck for the next three months. And then someone's if someone said it's not a big deal, just get over it, move on. You know, to me, it's a big deal. It's my world. It's my livelihood, just like the wand is for my five year old niece because she wanted to be a princess today. It's interesting, right? Right. Because we don't think about it through the eyes of that. You know, someone said to me the other day, too, when a child gets upset, often the reaction of the parent is, you're not sad. Like, you're not mad. Like, they try to change the subject, right? Like, distract the child with, like, a candy or something else. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, is that why I really loved sugar as a kid? Like, did every (laughs) time I get upset, did someone give me, like, chocolate? And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I have emotional problems, I'm going to go eat. Because that was definitely what I did. Me too. As a kid, I'd like go. In Canada, we had five cent candies, which are like gummy candies that were in a container, which who knew what else was in the container from everyone's greasy hand. But you would go and like five cents of candy. So if you got like an allowance, I'd go spend like $2 on 40 candies. Meanwhile, I'm getting jacked up on high fructose corn syrup and like... (laughs) You just think of all the fucked up things we've put in our body because the world told us it was actually not toxic. And then you look back now and you're like, we were in the generation, especially me, but no, 80s, 90s, 90s especially was bad. A generation of food that was total shit. Well, we're also in a generation where our parents didn't, our parents continued whatever trauma they took on. They put it on us without realizing. And now we're more in a generation where we all, uh, therapy is not, because you know, in Russia, for example, my my mom told me that actors used to be buried in a different type of cemetery in Russia really? than where regular humans were because actors were the definition of actors, even though people enjoyed their movies, was that they're something's off with them, that they are able to pretend to really? be someone else. So it's a mental health. It's a it's a not a disability there. It's a mental illness. So they That's would be buried. So interesting. Yeah. They so would culturally, be, Russians buried them in a, in a where place. mental illness is. So therapy, same thing. You have a mental illness if you need to go to therapy. It's not normal. So my mom was such a good listener because her friends would go complain to her, and she was in a way their therapist without them actually going to therapy. And now we're in a culture where it's becoming more normal to start to go to therapy. And even couples, they go to therapy before they have problems because therapy is meant to help you now, not when you're actually deep down. Not in the fucking crisis. (laughs) In the ground. Therapists rescue us and they're like, "Uh." Yeah, exactly. So I think think, uh, all of that stuff is really really interesting. It really is. I, I think the shifting world that we're in is so amazing because we have access to so much more information than we ever did, which as you said earlier, and I totally agree with, can be very overwhelming if we're not intentional about where our attention goes. You know, like I I have a friend who did this exercise at a conference where he said, I want you tonight to go on your social media. I want you to rank who you follow out of 10 and anyone below a seven, you unfollow. And he said, and anyone in an eight and above that brings you alive, you keep. And he said, and there's no such thing as a seven because a seven is bullshit excuse to not delete someone. And so I was like, that, imagine if we did, which I think a lot of people do, but imagine if all of us curated our feeds based on that. Like, does it bring me alive? Does it bring me joy? 
you know, or does it bring me down into the pits of darkness? Because as you said earlier, like social media can really do that. It can be an echo chamber of your own beliefs. It can be, you know, what do social media companies know? They know that you being triggered or me being triggered is likely to keep me on the app. Yeah. Or me getting dopamine hits from, you know, sexual images or whatever it is, you know, although I do really, have you ever watched that Instagram account, Kids Getting Hurt? Uh, No. It's going to sound like I'm a bad person, but (laughs) it is a funny account. It's so funny. It's hard to not watch, you know, like an accident where you just can't help yourself. Like, it's just, it's funny. funny. I will tell you that the funniest part is that, you know, on, I think on my episode last month when you came on my podcast, you were talking about how nervous you are to be a father. But I think once you realize that you are going to fuck up your child's life regardless, and not in a bad way, in a way that you will bring trauma. Dr. Shafali said that to me. She said the same thing. Yeah. You will bring trauma to your kid regardless no matter how perfect you try to be your kid will still somehow one time heard a no or even a yes when you shouldn't, you shouldn't have given a yes and you will still somehow bring trauma to your kids. I think once you accept that and you understand that you will do your best and somehow your kid will still quote unquote come up a little (laughs) fucked up, but hope hope for the best, then that's, you know, you can just release and let go and everything will be okay. Another thing that I thought was funny, the way your friend just told you about the, the numeric system. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading recently on, okay, well, a, while, a long time ago, I was playing blackjack. And then my dad told me that I'm a loser for playing blackjack if I don't know how to count cards. They was like, you don't even know how to count cards and you're playing blackjack. And then I, I never did it again until I learned how. And then yesterday I was reading up on how to count cards. And they have the same numeric system you just talked about. So anything below yeah. seven, it's a negative one. So then that's how you, and then seven, oh, eight, nine. Interesting. Yeah. Seven, eight, nine is a zero. It doesn't count. So like your friend just said, anything a seven doesn't count. Seven, eight, nine doesn't count. Zero. And then 10, 11, all that up to ace. That's a plus one. So it's kind of the same numeric system <laughs> that for blackjack. That is really interesting. Blackjack <laughs> yeah. and social media. <laughs> Violetta, I love having you on. I'm so grateful for our conversations. I'm so grateful for so many of the insights you shared today. Um, one a special one that shook me in such a beautiful way was about how we can only be controlled when we need something, you know. And that that was uh, is so many insights though. Uh, and thank you for sharing your journey. And I can't wait to have you back on. And just appreciate you so much. For people listening, where can they find more of you? They can find more of me on my podcast, Almost Adulting, on every Tuesday and Thursday. Thursday is my guest or solo episodes. Tuesday is more the episodes focusing on my listeners and their crazy stories. And that's available to listen everywhere. And the Instagram for it is Almost Adulting on Instagram. They can also find me on Daddy Issues underscore for memes and my personal account, Violet Benson. Amazing. Well, we'll make sure we put that all in our show notes. Thank you for being here today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me and have a beautiful day, everyone. Mwah.